Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 7, which we kicked off last week. Today we're in verses 18 to 23. 18 to 23, and I've titled our study, Is Jesus Really the One? Is Jesus really the one? Is he really the Messiah, the Savior of the world? I mean, this question is on many hearts and minds as we come to this time of year, not, not only in, in the church, but especially outside the church. But even though it is especially outside the church where may, people may wonder, who, who is this Jesus that I hear about? I'm reminded that that question is asked in the church as well. Matter of fact, I suspect every person in this room has asked that question to, 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 uh, to one degree or another. Well, know that you are in good company because John the Baptist asked it as well. And today we're going to look at this, this riveting conversation between John and Jesus. Personally, I find this to be one of the most moving dialogues in all of Scripture, brief as it is. So much is asked and so much is answered in so few words. So just a, a bit of context before we read this passage. Uh, Jesus is well into his three years of public ministry. This comes before his crucifixion and his, and his resurrection, as you know. Um, he is more than famous to some, and he is more than hated by others. At least one attempt has already been taken to actually kill him, Luke 4. And John the Baptist... This, this cousin of Jesus, the forerunner of Jesus, one of Jesus' greatest admirers and followers, John is now in prison and has likely been there for a number of months. Why? Because of his message of repentance. Repentance particularly in preparation for the coming Messiah. We see this all the way back in chapter 3, verses 19 to 20 which says, but when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by John because of Herodias, his brother's wife, we've got some gross immorality going on here, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them. He locked John up in prison. It is from this prison that this dramatic conversation takes place between John and Jesus. So follow along as I read, starting in verse 18 of Luke 7. The disciples of John reported to him, that is to Jesus, about, I'm sorry, the disciples of John reported to John about all these things. So in the flow and the context of everything just prior in the chapter, this means that John is hearing about the teachings and the miracles of Jesus. These reports are coming back to him even in prison. Verse 19, 19, it says, Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, 
the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. May God bless our faith as we read his word. Let's pray and then we'll study this wonderful text. Heavenly Father, what an interesting situation we see recorded in the scriptures here. Not just for our entertainment, not just as part of the historical record, but Lord, it is recorded for your glory and our instruction and our benefit. So open our eyes this morning. Help us to relate and understand to the principles of your word that we might experience the blessings that come down upon those who have ears to hear this text. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's the conversation. Jesus has more to say in the following verses, particularly about John, but we'll look at that, Lord willing, after the holidays. This conversation between these two cousins is simple and short. We're going to divide it into two halves. Let's, let's start with verses 18 to 20, reading them again. It says, The disciples of John reported to him about all these things. So summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Now, to begin to grasp the depth of this question, we do have to put ourselves into the historical record, into the story, into John's shoes as best we can. Months into prison, on account of Christ and his message, the message of repentance for sin, John appears to be distressed, perplexed. I can only imagine what he is going through because I have not sat in a cell for months. I've not experienced the mind games, the wonderings, the doubts that must plague a person's mind in that cell day after day, month after month. Can't imagine the number of what if questions. It's from this lonely place of bondage that John is getting all these reports about the fantastic ministry of Jesus, the unprecedented teachings, the miracles like humanity has never observed. Oh, how this must have perplexed him. If my cousin is truly the Messiah... If this Jesus is so great, then why am I here? Something's not adding up, and it drives him to ask, are you really the one? Are you really the long-awaited Messiah? I love this quote by Oswald Chambers, given by Wearsby in his commentary. Doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking. Don't fear the questions when they come to mind. This is different 
than a spirit of unbelief, which the Scripture speaks to. This is a, a spirit that willfully sins against God and refuses to listen to His Word. Who of us in prison on account of Christ would not ask, Lord, are you really there? Are you really the one? Am I doing the right thing? Are you really going to come through for me as I follow you? Are you really the one? I only have one point for today's sermon. Savor it. You may never get another sermon like this again. But here's the point. Even as we approach Christmas, we all need to be reminded that Jesus Christ really is the Savior, the Son of God, our Messiah. Is this not why we celebrate Christmas and hold it so dear to our hearts? Can you imagine, apart from Christ, how empty this holiday would be? When the focus just goes through the roof on materialism, so much of a front of joy, even though there's tremendous suffering in the heart and in the home, in society, and yet everyone puts on this front that this is the most wonderful time of the year, and of course there are, there are blessings to be found, joys even among those who are not of Christ and in Christ, but it is nothing like the holiday that you and I celebrate, Amen. We are so blessed in Jesus Christ. This is a reminder that the Savior of the world really did come. He really was and is the Son of God and Son of Man. He really was announced by angels, born of a virgin, sinless yet crucified for us. And He really did come back to life and He really is coming back again someday. That babe in the manger really was and is Jesus, the Savior of the world. This is why the Christmas season is so dear to our faith. But of course, don't take my word for it. Look at what Jesus is doing and the answer he gives to John's disciples. Verse 21. We see this again, the setting. It says, at that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions. I mean, these aren't the two, the two, two in the same. The wording here points out that it is not just sickness that Jesus is miraculous healing. He, he is addressing terrible suffering, afflictions. It goes on to say, and evil spirits. It is so interesting because Jesus is not just working miracles in the physical realm, but in the spiritual as well. It says, and he gave sight to many who were blind. Notice the, the repeated use of the word many. This is not a one or two or three off healing. This is undeniable. The masses are experiencing the miraculous healing of God. So there's the many times over, miracle-performing setting of this conversation. So look again now at the answer Jesus gives in light of this setting. And he answered and said to them, verse 22, 
Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. There's Jesus' answer to a really big question. Notice that he did not give, not in this instance, any long theological treatise, no rebuke as if to say, how could you possibly doubt me? Come on, John, get it together. No, Jesus spoke these few but compelling words, gentle but so true. And if you and I were Jews at this time, well-versed in Old Testament Scripture, we would recognize that Jesus is without question referring to multiple Old Testament prophecies. With the specifically chosen words he just gave, Prophecies like Isaiah 35, verses 4 to 10. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense, recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Is there any doubt that Jesus is not speaking regarding prophecies? Verse 8, a highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. Do you and I pause often to, to thank God for the privilege we have of going down this road? The highway of holiness no lion, verse 9, no lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. There will not be found there. These will not be found there. But the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. After Israel's Assyrian and Babylonian captivities, the nation moaned and longed for this Messiah. As the Christmas hymn says, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. This was the mental, emotional state of Israel at this time, and surely of John the Baptist, as he sits in prison wondering about this man called Jesus. And so Jesus gives this beautiful response in the verses we read. And he's already repeated these prophecies of himself in prior chapters. We go back to Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when Jesus was back in his hometown in, of Nazareth, which we studied a few months back, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. As you may recall, 
the people in the synagogue there first marveled at the beauty of words like these that Jesus was speaking. But then, only a few moments later, they were offended at him. So much so they attempted to throw him off a cliff at the edge of town. How angry and violent would a mob have to be in a church to do something like that? They were offended at him. Jesus is also likely referring to prophetic verses like Isaiah 61, verse 1, which surely John knew. It says, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. No wonder John asked Jesus, is this you, Lord? Are you really the expected one? Because John is not feeling very free right now. Where's the vengeance, recompense, and salvation of God? Indeed, John would not find freedom on this earth, as you know. He would soon lose his head on account of Christ and the message of repentance for sin. Is it any surprise that John, in his season of tremendous suffering and loneliness, asked, are you the expected one, or do we look for another? The more you study the life and ministry of John, the more you see that in his humanity, in his time of significant difficulty, he just needed to hear Jesus say it again. I am the one. Jesus specifically tells John's messengers, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. That is so powerful. Jesus just didn't give John theological information, which would have been authoritative enough. But to support John's faith during his season of distress, Jesus gives audible, visible proof of who he is. And I love how Jesus tells these two disciples of John to just look around and take, take note of what you are seeing with your own eyes and hearing with your own ears. As if Jesus is saying, I am miraculously healing people's feet, sight, ears, bodies. I am bringing the dead back to life. Jesus is saying, just look at the miracles. Remind John of them. But why does Jesus point to the miracles? We studied this two chapters prior in Luke 5, 24. This is the healing of the paralytic. Jesus said to the crowd around him, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. 
We cannot lose sight of the fact that Jesus did miracles to prove he could forgive people's sins. Even the poor, the afflicted, the lowliest of society, those who could not afford it, just like the prophets foretold. Jesus did these miracles to prove he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And it was no different in this moment as he told John's disciples to just look around and tell John what you are seeing and hearing. Surely they witnessed and heard testimony of the lad raised from the dead in the verses just prior to this. The verses we looked at last week. This is miraculous. And note that Jesus also specifically states that his gospel, again, is preached to the poor, the afflicted, the lowly, those who can't afford it. Again, confirming the prophecies that we read just a few minutes ago. But notice that Jesus didn't end his reply here. He finished, quite stunningly, with this statement. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And that was Jesus' answer. Being offended at Jesus, being offended by him, were common attributes of those who resisted and rejected Jesus and his message. People like the Pharisees, the scribes, even many in the multitudes as we're already seeing and we are going to see. We're seeing this all throughout Luke's gospel. But Jesus gently points John back to the blessing. You see, the Beatitudes aren't over yet. The blessing. Jesus is telling him, don't be offended. Believe what you see. Believe my gospel. It reaches even to the poorest of the poor. He tells John to just pause and absorb who this Jesus really is. I fear that we can get so busy in life, so tied up in both the pleasures and the struggles, that we lose sight unintentionally, passively, of who Jesus really is. It's as if Jesus is telling John, why would someone be offended at someone like me doing such wondrous things? Those who are not offended, those who do not walk away, those who do not reject will be blessed, both in this life and forevermore. It is they who receive the truly good life, the blessing of God forevermore. Isn't it interesting that Jesus has to remind John the Baptist of this reality? John, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who personally prepared the way for Messiah, John just needed to be reminded. Friends, we are not so different no matter how long we have been in the church, no matter how long we've been in the faith, no matter how many times we have read through the Bible, 
No matter how many years or decades we have been serving for, we too, and sometimes we, ought, we even do, we too can wrestle with and struggle with thoughts like, is the Christian life really worth it? Is there something more to life than this biblical worldview? Is following Christ really the right path? Is He really the one? To which Jesus answers, remember what I've done. Remember what I have said. The miracles and the gospel, the good news that Jesus brought, this is why we celebrate Christmas. So much more than the typical holiday cheer. This is why we follow Christ all through the year. It is not a baseless faith. It is not a blind faith. By the miracle working of God through His Word, His Spirit, His Son, our eyes have been opened. There is no one like Him. No one has power like Him. No one has love like him, love that lays down their life so that others may be saved eternally. No one else has the words of truth and hope like Jesus Christ. If you were to search the earth and all the records of history for even one person, one being, one Savior, not only for this life, but especially for the eternal one to come, a concept so big we can hardly wrap our minds around it. But if you were to look for that hope, the calm assurance that all will be well, what kind of proof would you look for to validate in your mind that you had found the answer? Jesus says, look at the miracles. This rhetorical statement implies, have you seen anyone with this kind of power over life and death? That's how you know you can trust me with eternity. One might ask, but how do you, but how do you know these historical records from 2,000 years ago were true? How do, how do you know these miracles really happened? authenticating the, that Jesus really is the one. Well, perhaps you would benefit through a, a, a read-through of Lee Strobel's A Case for Christ. How many of you have read that book? But maybe at least a quarter of the auditorium here this morning. He took a detailed, investigative, journalistic look at the evidence in the Bible and history and the fact that Jesus has been successfully making waves for 2,000 years, you know that Lee became a believer when he looked at the miracles, when he looked at the records, when he looked at the evidence. He became a believer from the research. Jesus opened his eyes. Jesus' identity and influence are unparalleled. 2,000 years later, the Bible is still the number one best-selling book in the world. Now, we could talk about factual evidence all day. And if you would like to, let's get together. Let's get a group together and, and talk about the evidence for Jesus. But I would look, encourage you to look for even more profound evidence, and that would be changed 
lives. Millions of people find love, joy, and peace like never before when they find Jesus. If that's you, would you say amen heartily? Amen. You see, getting your sight back is spectacular. If you've had eye illness or injury, then you understand. You know, my 14-year-old son just a few years ago went into the doctor with an eye injury, and this army doctor at the ER down to coma said, I see a lot of eye injuries, and this scares me. On a much, much smaller plane, my birthday is reminding me that my eyes are also not what they used to be. It is miraculous and incredible to get some sight back. But we have to be reminded that people with good vision still die every day hopeless, totally depressed, totally distraught with their lives and the world around them. People in good health still die unexpectedly every day, many of whom are hopeless. So health isn't everything. On the other hand, I personally know, and I know that many of you do as well, people in poor health, people in significant calamity who are pressing through life with unshakable faith, love, joy, peace. Hmm. I think of Kathy Hall. A dear friend to our church family from not too many years ago who is in the throes of ALS and in hospice. But her faith sings. If you've followed her journey in the posts, the videos that she shares, she's almost to the point she, she can't speak. Oh, how her faith sings through it all. Many of us know people who were in poor health who died with great peace because they knew Jesus. They personally experienced the life-changing power of Messiah and His Word. If your salt group is meeting this week, I encourage you to take some time in that meeting to just let people share how their lives were miraculously changed for the better, both now and forever. Such testimonies should be heard often coming from our lips. It has the effect of what Jesus told John in this instance. Who else or what else in this entire world and in the history of mankind offers salvation like Jesus? I have yet to see with my own eyes or hear with my own ears anything as convincing as Jesus and the Bible. John the Baptist simply needed to be reminded of this. You and I need to be reminded. It's one of the reasons we thank God for Christmas. Another holiday to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Of course, I don't know what, might, what, you, what you might be going through in your life, in your family, in your finances, in your health right now. I don't know whether God has you in a season that is more easy or hard. But I do know this, 
There is salvation and peace to be found in Jesus like no other. Christmas is wonderful. Not just because of the good cheer, the lights, the family time, the sharing of gifts, but because of Jesus. That babe in the manger, the risen Son of God, our confidence and our joy. And we could not ask for greater. Fred, if you're here today and you're thinking, I don't have that kind of hope. I don't really understand what you're talking about. This salvation, eternal life. Friend, if you would like to know more, if your heart longs to know what Jesus says about these things, what the prophet said, what the Bible says about these all-important matters, then consider the words of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, this is what comes to mind as we walk through the living nativity and get to the manger and see that baby. And the emotion just kind of swells within us. And our faith is overwhelmed and bolstered. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you've never heard that verse before, have you ever heard anything like that? The call to believe is not just one of mental agreement. It's speaking of the life that believes, the life that follows after Jesus as your truth, your Savior, your Lord. If you'd like to know more, if you've got any questions, please don't hesitate to speak with me or just about anyone here in this church family. We'd love to open God's word with you and just show you what he says so you can read it with your own eyes, hear it with your own ears, and personally experience the miraculous peace and joy and life that Jesus offers like no other. For those here who already believe, many of you, I trust this text in God's word has invigorated your faith, revitalized your faith in Christ and his word and what he has called you and me to. We need not fear. We need not be anxious. Even in times of prison. Instead, we have every reason, every right bestowed upon us so freely by God to rejoice in Christ, to worship, to trust, to obey, knowing that we will not be disappointed when we step into eternity. He will not let us down. And meanwhile, though, if you believe Jesus is still performing miracles, would you say amen? Absolutely. All around us, may our eyes be open to seeing the wonder-working power of God in our lives and around us today, especially in our hearts and in the hearts of those around us. I love the certainty that's communicated in 1 John 5.13. It says this, These things have I written to you who believe... 
This is a message for the church. These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 20 says, and we know that the Son of God came, has come, and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Have you ever heard words like that? 